going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, greetings and salutations, my friends. A happy Thursday, one and all, and nothing like stirring the pot. And as I said to Rob as we were passing in the hallway, I said, well, thanks for getting everybody foaming at the mouth. Jeez, it's, it, it amazes me how photo radar is that one uniting aspect of any kind of governmental interference that gets everybody up in arms. And you're either there. It's very divisive as well, right? You have those who are vehemently against it. Absolutely. 100% not. We've got to get away with it or got to get do away with it. Pardon me. On the other side, you have those who I'm more on this side is, hey, if you don't want to get a speeding ticket, don't speed. I feel like there's a bit of a sense of entitlement when it comes, especially on like when you're doing 130 or 140 and you're like, I des- I, I'm a taxpayer, therefore I get to speed. Nope. Isn't that kind of like saying, hey, you know what? The, that business didn't have a security camera in it, therefore I should be able to steal. Same kind of thing, right? I know I'm going to get ripped. For that but at the same time there is that if there there were those remember the sean chu comments about you know addiction being a choice speeding is also a choice so and even beyond that one final point we're going to talk to calgary police about this in a little bit because i want to get a, a sense of whether or not they are going to be changing some of the ways they deploy the photo radar machine uh vehicles now that's my big question mark out of all of this because i'm curious if they were even thrown for a bit of a loop because you would think that this would be an issue brought up by the ucp because that's a very very them conservative move right like every time derek fildebrand's been hard on this with his his party so it's surprising to me that the ndp rolled this out but the one other aspect of this is from an economic standpoint, is if you think that it's a cash cow, then what if we all just said, you know what, everybody, let's stop speeding now. Because at some point, police will go, well, it doesn't pay to actually send out the trucks, so therefore we don't need them anymore. Hence, cash cow gone. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Then again, I also like having fun and poking the bear on this issue, too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of photo radar, especially in some of those obvious areas where they're just trying to It seems as though, again, it might not be the case, but it seems as though they are going for the biggest bang for buck. I'll use Stony Trail as a prime example. How many vehicles drive by as you're going down the hill towards 16th Avenue as you're heading south? Uh, and you're just about to go over the, the river bridge, and it's always there, every few days. Same with the Memorial Drive uh, right west of the 14th Street Bridge. Same area every single time. But clearly, <laughs> if, it was an, if it was a non-issue spot, they wouldn't return. But obviously, people are still doing it. We'll talk to Sergeant Jorg Gotchling in just a few minutes to talk about that. We'll also dive into uh, a great... 
um, influential conversation being had with the Palliser Regional School District Teachers Convention. Lowell and Julie Taylor, motivational speakers. They were on The Amazing Race. They were guest speakers. We'll chat with them after 4 o'clock. We'll also talk high-tech jobs in our city. Apparently, there is a big need for high-quality workers in the tech sector. We'll chat about that. We'll also chat regional rail in Calgary and area. Some a fascinating tweet that I, I want to dive a little bit into around the numbers. We'll also chat with a potential future Olympian. Caleb Mueller is a speed skater from Southern Alberta who took home a bunch of hardware. We're going to join uh, from the Canada Games. We'll be joined by him later on in the show. But we got to keep everybody's hot under the collar a little bit. We'll talk photo radar next here on Calgary Today. Before we chat with the Calgary Police Service about photo radar, one thing that I do, having lived in a number of different communities around this province, it's not surprising that the, uh, how do I put it? It's not surprising how the idea of photo radar is much the same across the province, but the deployment, I can say with absolute certainty, is totally different. Whether you're in Lethbridge with the photo radar boxes, and in certain areas, not necessarily on the on the big corridors. Although Whoop Up Drive in Lethbridge, in particular, is a bad one because they get it right at the right at the crux at the bottom of the hill when everybody's doing 110 and in a 90 zone. One thing that I've the one commonality that I've I've noticed amongst all the investigators that I've talked to about this is there is that thought process that hey, if you happen to slow down just for the truck or the minivan or whatever the case may be then it's almost mission accomplished for them. And the reason they think that is because it's clear that you're obviously paying attention to the road around you. And so while speed, you know, we can talk bigger picture in terms of do we need to increase speed uh, speed limits on some roads? I would argue Stony needs to be 110. I I I honestly do believe that. I also think that uh, Memorial Drive in that spot right under 14th Street, I'm still kind of confused on why that's a 50 for just that little area. Again, I'm open for that discussion, but I am kind of, I, I still, I'm still curious about that whole aspect of whether or not you deserve, I'm not even curious. I'm actually for the idea of, hey, if you're aware, you don't need the ticket. But if it's the guys who are, you know, staring at their phones, who don't don't notice the photo radar van sitting there, you deserve the ticket anyways. Besides the point. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Sergeant York Gotchling is uh, tr- with the traffic unit with the Calgary Police Service. He joins us now. Uh, Sergeant, thanks so much for the time today. No problem. Let's talk a little bit about your initial reaction to today's announcement uh, surrounding photo radar in, in our province. Well, we were just made aware yesterday that the provincial government was going to announce these changes. So uh, this morning at 8 o'clock, we were, we were briefed uh, by a webinar by the provincial government on what those changes were. And in truth, um, the changes are very minor as far as uh, how the Calgary Police Service conducts business. Um, and now, there has been a bit of miscommunication about the use of uh, photo radar on high-speed roadways, which I'll happy to explain 
um, what the miscommunication was by by some other news agencies, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to have an opportunity to clarify that. Mm, well, let's get right into that aspect of it, because I think a lot of people are reading what the minister said and, and are thinking, okay, well, so much for Stony Trail, so much for uh, Deerfoot, so much for some of the major roadways. So let's start there. Did is there what what did you take away from what the minister said? Right. So um, it, it, the. Uh, the old automated traffic enforcement guidelines from 2014, um, uh, much like the new ones, require justification for locations where you use automated enforcement. So one of the listed justifications in the old guidelines um, for photoradar was a uh, high-speed multi-lane roadway, such as Deerfoot or Stony. So that in, the existence of that roadway itself uh, justified the use of photoradar there. But now, if you're going to put photoradar on such a roadway, you need to have a secondary reason. You need to have a, a, a statistical support, uh, for example, collisions. Uh, but also, and importantly, uh, if you can show that it is a dangerous location for traditional enforcement. Now, I was a traffic officer for, for many a year pulling people over, and I'll be the first to tell you that pulling someone over on Deerfoot Trail is terrifying because people are racing past you at 100 kilometers an hour, just a, a couple of feet from where you're standing. So um, I specifically asked that question in when we were in consultation with members of the uh, Alberta uh, Transportation this morning, and they did assure us that uh, the provision for a dangerous location for traditional enforcement is still in effect with the new guidelines, as well as I would suggest that anybody who's watched any kind of Calgary news on any day, uh, I would suggest that uh, collision statistics also support the use of photo radar on Deerfoot and Stony Trail. So we were not um, given specifics as to how many collisions you would need to justify its existence. But uh, if need be, I'm sure we could provide hundreds and hundreds of case numbers for collisions on those roadways in Calgary. So does this change then maybe the strategy around where you place some of the photo radar? And I'll use Stony Trail because I use it on a daily basis. Is there's one spot just as you're approaching 16th Avenue heading south where it's at the tail end of the bottom of the hill and you're just about to cross the bridge. And there's always that, I, in the back of my mind, I'm going, okay, you're just trying to catch those who haven't slowed down quite yet. So is that a spot that might need to be rejigged when it comes to your overall strategy? Well, uh, unfortunately, if I would have been in charge of design on Deerfoot Trail many years ago, I would have left a little more room on either shoulder uh, <laughs> simply for uh, to, to help the police out. But mm-hmm. there are... There are a limited amount of spots even that are safe for the photoradar units. We do need to take into account that we, we can't be contributing to any uh, sightline problems with you know, merging motorists. So there are a lot of places we can't go for, reasons, for safety reasons like that. So unfortunately, we're kind of sometimes pigeonholed into locations that we, that we can attend. So that's why you see these habitual spots that, that we've evaluated to be safe for us and for the public. Now, you, you mentioned a speed change. That is also something that came out in the new guidelines mm-hmm. where, where they make mention of transition zones. But again, um, I, I, I can't speak for any of the other 26 agencies in Alberta as to where they've deployed their vehicles. But uh, on a 10 kilometer an hour speed change, we're not to sit within 10 meters of the sign. Uh, this is not uh, pursu- pursuant to uh, 
playground zones or construction zones, or this is for a speed zone right. where you're changing, say, into a neighborhood. Uh, so 10 meters of the sign, a 20 kilometer an hour change within 25 meters of the sign, and a 30 kilometer an hour change within 100 meters of the sign. And I assure you that we have never encroached anywhere near those numbers, even though people have the perception that we do. But when you're traveling at 100, 110 kilometers an hour, 100 kilometers an hour, 100 meters goes by extremely quickly. So visually, it might look like we're sitting almost touching the sign, but but that's assuredly not the case because people bring these matters up for court and we have to provide the measured distances for when our units set up as to those signs. And, and so this is not something we, none of our locations need to be addressed with a, a, the, the transition zone provisions. Right. When it comes to some of the other spots that you guys are, are regular frequenters of, and I'll just use the ones that are clear off the top of my head, but Crowchild Trail, I know, is a, is a fairly regular one, and Memorial Drive right under the 14th Street Bridge, I know, is a pretty uh, regular spot for you guys. When you look at the what's being talked about through the minister, does that change any of your strategy on, in those specific locations that are not the 100 to uh, 110 zones? Well, perhaps, but I suppose it it's... You know, is it is it a a problem area or or is it a fishing hole? Right, like it's mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where you do have people saying, um, you know, we, we we want enforcement here because nobody's following the rules. So it it, it it's not uh, as though you know we give instructions to the operators that today you will go to this location and that location. They actually have a fair amount of autonomy, mm-hmm. where you know they usually will attend a spot for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and then they'll move to another spot. We have over, you know, 700 or so approved spots in the city that they can that they can attend, and uh, they, they, they have some autonomy as to which locations uh, they go to at any given time. When it comes to what the minister's saying about com- coming back in a year and being able to kind of report back, and uh, does that put a little bit more of an onus on you and your your officers to make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's in terms of the deployment of photo radar? Well, we we are audited. We were audited two years ago as part of a regular audit, which looks at uh, our equipment and our training and our deployment and our signage. And, and then last year there was this additional audit brought on by the minister resulting in this. Um, so uh, we fully anticipate that there may well be another audit next year, perhaps later this year. Um, we're, we're satisfied that we, we're, we're following um, the guidelines. Uh, we, we, we've never had an issue in the past, and I don't anticipate us having one in the future. Um, we are waiting for some clarification, like I mentioned, uh, if, if, they were, if they're going to stipulate number of collisions as, as what they would like to see and they promised us that they would get back to us with some numbers there um, but again if, if I was looking to apply a, a reasonableness to it I would say Deerfoot Trail has so many collisions if in fact they didn't justify photo radar then I, I don't know what kind of a horrible roadway would. How does safety factor into this? This is the number one question. How do we change that dynamic so that we can actually get people thinking about safety first. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right? They, we're all, you know, products of our experiences. So most people, if they see a full radar ticket, they, they see it as a terrible thing. But uh, as you know, I, I've, I've personally had to knock on a great many doors to unfortunately deliver the news of a fatality. So I, I see it as a, I see it as a, as a different and necessary tool. And uh, I mean, uh, in the city of Calgary, we only have to go back to looking news headlines a day or two where, you know, there, there are a an, an never-ending list of 
uh, request for police resources, uh, the most recent one being, I believe, 10 or 11 members to be sent downtown mm-hmm. uh, to the clinic uh, and, and help out in that area. So this all draws on uh, on our ability to, to perform traffic safety. So, I, I mean, photo radar and fixed site is, is, a, is a very normal part of uh, our existence now, and it, it's used more or less in some municipalities. Um, I, I, I wish I knew what the answer was as far as, you know, using different technologies. Uh, some people some people purely see it as a terrible thing, and, and other people are really quite supportive. Um, but I, I, I think I, I would... I would hate to see what would happen to our drivers if the word got out that uh, there was no more traffic enforcement because, uh, I mean, I think we all see uh, some of the driving habits of, uh, you know, fellow Calgarians on our way to and from work each day. And, and I think when you, when you put it to someone in that way, they, nobody sees themselves as the bad driver, but uh, I think we could all say I, I at least see one person on my way to or from work that might be deserving of a ticket. Mm-hmm. Final question for you. How do you fight the idea, or even from the minister's mouth today, talking about uh, how some policing agencies have used it basically as a cash cow? So how do you fight that perception out there that all photo radar is all a cash cow? Because I know, I guarantee you, the text lines uh, are looking the same way, and there's going to be phone calls that have been going the same way, saying that's all this is, we need to get rid of it right here, right now. Right, and it... it, it Perhaps that was some unfortunate wording by by the minister to use that. I, it's certainly a conversation I have with uh, many an angry motorist who phones and wants to complain about the ticket that he got, and and, and cash cow certainly rolls off the tongue uh, quite frequently. I can only say that uh, as a policeman, I write tickets. I have never collected the money for a ticket. Uh, the ticket is not payable at a police station. You are being issued a provincial summons, and that money goes to the province at the outset. So uh, what happens... With, with that cash, um, I certainly don't benefit from in any direct way. So uh, I believe that you know we're, we're we're using this program as best we can to to provide traffic safety. Uh, same with our fixed side intersections; they're all supported as best we can by collision statistics, and and that's the best you can do is to try to get people to to see it from that side. But uh, you know there'll be people out there listening and and, and seeing this. Uh, applauding it and hoping that automated enforcement goes away in its entirety. And it's not a decision that I make. But uh, like I say, as far as uh, we, we deploy in a way to, to amend traffic behavior uh, as best we can to prevent collisions. Sergeant, I do appreciate the time and the insight today. Thanks so much. All right, Joe, you have a good one. We've got a few more thoughts on this before too long by the end of the show for sure. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right, we've got a couple of guests now on the line. Julie and Lowell Taylor, their names may ring a bell if you happen to be a watcher of The Amazing Race. Also, Lowell is hoping to make his mark in the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. Lowell's visually impaired and somehow managed to get on The Amazing Race and is trying to get in on all this as well. And the pair are actually presenting today with the Palliser Regional School District's Teachers Convention. And both of them join us uh, right now. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having us. We're very happy to be here. Your story is certainly inspiring. My first question is, what did it teach you about yourself? Yeah, when the vision starts to disappear, um, being legally blind, I live every day in a sighted world, and it makes things challenging. So on a day-to-day basis, I have to find a way to overcome my obstacles. 
and find ways to support me, the right people, the right mindset to turn those obstacles into opportunities. Sport has been one of those big ways, um, as well as community. Julie, what has this all taught you about life and perception and, and that kind of thing being with Lowell? I think more so now than ever, I'm very much in the present with Lowell, and we don't know what the future looks like with his vision and how fast he's going to lose the rest of it or if he's going to lose the rest of it. Um, So we live in the moment. We're enjoying the present and just make the most out of life and the opportunities that have come our way largely because of Lowell's blindness. What are some of the, for both of you, what are some of the the most surprising aspects, uh, both positive and negative, that have come out of the experience of blindness and trying to uh, conquer all of life's challenges? Oh, well, where, where do you start? I was, <laughs> as I was telling the teachers today, when I committed to a relationship with Lowell, I was expecting there to be a lot of obstacles with his blindness and the knowledge that his vision would continue to get worse but I was not expecting all the opportunities. So being cast for Amazing Race Canada in 2016, uh, Lowell is killing it in the paracycling world, and that's been such a joy to witness. Um, and we've been on a couple TV shows too, and that's one documentary series airing right now called Mindset Go, and we get to journey along with these individuals and, and help them on, on their way to healthier selves of mind, body, and soul so it's just been and then paralympians are in that those episodes too so it's all these human stories and we get to be a part of it and it's just it's very inspiring and quite an honor how challenging is it to counter that idea that you can't just mull over the things that are uh in front of you because i know a lot of people get stuck they're they're in the the doldrums and it's it's a tough battle ahead how do you um, how do you inspire people to be able to think past that and build that mindset so that every little victory is going towards something bigger and grander than what they can even maybe see? Oh, I love that. And the way you stated it, um, those little small successes help us build confidence. And if we can start to see that what we've got through is something we, we did make it through, that builds confidence so we can do it again. That's called growth mindset. And that's how we grow and develop. And so giving them examples, giving other people examples of what that has looked like, looked like in my life and inspiring them to do that in their own lives. Um, we all know the power of our mind as well. So if you believe you can't do something, you're right. But if you believe you can do something, you're also right. So helping people really to see a way through, to problem solve, and to use the right tools and people to get you through those difficult times. So we're hoping that at least one thing we say can connect with somebody and help them give a little bit of passion and purpose into their life as they move through their own struggles. How much of a challenge is it on the flip side to make sure people are setting realistic expectations? In your case, for example, it's not like you're looking at it going, you know what, I'm going to be an NHL superstar as, as an example. Or maybe you are thinking that. Where do you, where do you set the limits or do you set a limit? Yeah, I, I don't actually like to set limits on people too much. Um, I think society does a good enough job of that but um, in our own mindset. But you're right. There, if we set unrealistic expectations and perfectionism, we actually always feel like a failure. We always feel like we're not enough. Mm-hmm. So really, it's moving people to the here and now experience. Right? You can have an outcome goal, 
but that's outside of your control. Control the controllables would be work on the process goals. So to do that, to be a Paralympian, to be an NHL player, what would you have to do today mm-hmm. to move you closer to that goal? Julie, has this taught you something about yourself? Have you learned something over the last few years that made you go, I've come so far from 10 years ago to today just based off of the experiences that we've we've had? Yeah, I think I can do more than I think I can, too. I know we often talk about that in terms of people with disabilities, how they can do more than they think they can. But when we were on the race in particular, um, there were a lot of things kind of on my plate, like the driving and navigating and finding the clues and reading them. And at times I felt, man, this is, this is super overwhelming, but I did it. And I put a scooter together in Vietnam. And I remember when we, when in the summer that later that summer after coming home, we bought some Ikea furniture and I was just looking at all the pieces. And I'm like, I can do this. I put together a scooter in Vietnam. And <laughs> I just, I often find myself going back to that. Like, I can do more than I think I can. And again, that's this whole, just more positive mindset that I, Lowell inspires me with that on a regular basis. How much of it is acceptance to failure? being able to understand that, hey, failure is actually a part of the growth experience rather than something that is going to be the eternal setback? Oh, oh, you ask great questions. <laughs> I mean, that, that is That's what I get paid when to do. Learn that, lesson, that is the lesson of growth mindset. That is the proper mindset to get us through these troubles. It's not when you fail. I mean, it's not if, like it is a when. We will fail. And if you're trying something new, if you're trying something big and risky, at some level you will fail. But instead of seeing that as a failure, seeing that as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to try something in a new way, um, what we try to tell our kids and, and other people is if you're not failing at something, you're not trying hard enough, you're not trying something new, you're staying in a safe zone. So, yeah, learning that our failures don't define us, it just means we just need to keep growing and keep learning and keep trying. I would love to hear the answer from both of you because I think you both will have different uh, answers for this because you have, as much as you've lived this life together, you're also living in a different, you're seeing it in a different light, clearly. Um, What would you like the average person who's listening to this interview right now take away or some little nugget of info that might be able to give them a little bit of a glimmer of hope or something for the future to look forward to in the future? One line. Um, What I want people to know is that their struggle is real, right? What they're going through, everybody is battling a grand battle. And we might not always see it. So give compassion and kindness and gratitude and and focus on love. Those things can help us get through. But know that if you're struggling, you're not alone, and there is help available. So get help if you need help. I'm a psychologist by training, so um, I, I believe that we can have professional help as well. Access your support, access your communities, find meaning and purpose. Your struggle is real. Get help and get through it, and you can get to the other side of this. I believe in you. I just always think back to my high school days and anyone in junior high and high school right now, and I did not really love those times, and it kind of seemed like that was the end, like how could life get better? But it does. It gets better. Like high school, junior high, that's that's a bubble. Like the world is big and there is so there are so many wonderful things in the world. Yes, there's a lot of negativity and everything, but you sometimes you just have to look a little harder for all the po- all the positivity and the right people and 
I just say it gets better. <laughs> Some great words, and uh, I could go on for days on this, but unfortunately, we got to let you guys go. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the program today. Thank Thanks you so much for having us. Lowell and Julie Taylor joining us as they were motivational speakers at a teacher's convention here in Calgary uh, this morning. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. There's quite the event going on in Banff over the last couple of days. It's called The Gathering. It's dubbed as the annual gathering of the world's best brands to talk about all about branding and about placing yourself within the workforce. And this is an annual event and gets quite a few big names. I know Pepsi's been a part of it and a few others. And one of the groups that is speaking is Indeed.com. And Senior VP Paul Darcy is going to join us in just a second. One of the things we keep talking about is the growing tech sector here in our city. And the job, are there many postings for those kinds of jobs? What are we doing to actually entice workers to get here? So I wanted to get a little bit of an overview as to how the world sees Calgary from a tech perspective. Paul, thanks so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. What is it that you're finding about the tech sector here in Calgary and, and here in Canada? Is it something that is maybe an understated part of what we're, what we're seeing and what we're talking about when it comes to the job market? Yeah, what we see now at Indeed is that the tech sector in Calgary is growing, that there are more and more companies hiring, uh, and that the roles that they're looking for are the really core software engineering and technology type roles that really drive growth in the economy. They spin off a lot of other jobs as well. Right now, we see about 7% of job postings in Calgary are tech jobs, uh, and that is up about 35% since 2015. It's incredible how the industry, and we've talked about this on this program before, is how tech is sort of has been bubbling up as being that that next in line. People are really trying to get a feel for it. Is it an, an easy spot for a lot of people to find themselves getting into because of the transferable skill aspects of it? So one of the challenges right now for employers in Calgary is exactly that. Uh, while companies are growing and there is more and more demand for workers, there are not enough workers today to fill these positions. And in particular, the very technical roles such as software engineers and software architects, full stack developers, um, people who spend their time working with data and really writing code, those roles are, are really tough to find and to fill right now in Calgary. Is the onus then on the schools to get more kids out there, or is it more of an onus on Calgary to sell itself to the rest of the world as being, hey, the place to come to to find a job and, and get that sustainable job for a period of time? Yeah, I think it is all of those things. I think, first of all, Calgary has a global reputation of being one of the most livable cities in the world. It's in an incredibly beautiful part of the world, and it is a draw. And so there is opportunity to bring people in with those skills to help um, fill those open jobs and to grow the economy for everyone. There certainly is also an opportunity for schools to lure more people into technical programs and technical education, and that'll help fill these Spots. And then companies to fill these positions also need to invest 
in the community and in potential future employees uh, and help people get the skills they need to do this really important work. You really just touched on my next question, which was all about that. It's it's one thing to have a, a lot of jobs available, but obviously with uh, that means that there's, there's a lot of employers looking for not a lot of people. And so how do you as an employer set yourself above everybody else to make sure that you're standing out and, and be in the first place that potential employees are looking to? Yeah, so uh, there's a few things that employers can do to stand out. I think one of the most important things is to get the jobs out there, get them seen, get them on job sites like Indeed. It's really important for them to tell a powerful story about what's special about their workplace. It's not enough just to put out a job with a whole list of requirements. You have to communicate to people why it's special, what community they're joining, uh, and really market and um, strengthen your reputation. I think one of the most important things also is building a really special workplace. In an age of employee reviews, one of the first things job seekers do is take a look and see what current and former employees say, and you want them to say great things about what it's like to work for your company. We've talked a lot about in this city and in this province about oil and gas, and, and you know we've had a lot of job losses here. And Is there any light at the end of the tunnel for those who are in that industry who could potentially move over to the tech sector? How did they manage to get that foot in the door? How did they stand out so that they're maybe a leap above everybody else? I think one of the most promising things for Calgary is the diversification of the economy that is happening right now beyond oil and gas to new sectors like technology. And while there's this really tough supply-demand imbalance right now for people with the most technical skills, there's job opportunities across all sorts of realms uh, in these technology companies as they continue to grow. And so absolutely, I think that, you know, for people, it's never easy to move from one industry to another. One of the great things, though, about coding and technology roles is that many, many people in the industry are self-taught. Um, there's an ability to uh, learn online or by reading or through other programs. Uh, and there's a lot that people can do to get you know, the initial skills that are needed to create a new career or new opportunities. Does that also go back to a little bit of an onus on the employers to have a little bit more patience, I guess, with some of their new recruits or potential new recruits and that, hey, you know what, if, if they show a willingness to go that extra mile to teach themselves about something, you better be willing to um, uh, cultivate that. I, I think it's not just patients, but they should be actively investing uh, in people in their companies to help them get more skills, um, to help them improve and grow their careers and what they can contribute to you know, their business, to the economy in Calgary and to the world. And in areas where there's a real shortage of talent, we see you know, businesses um, doing that because it's in their own interest um, and it's also the right things for their employees and the community. A lot of things to think about as I know, like I said, a lot of people are certainly looking at the job market going, there's nothing for me, but believe it or not, there are some people that are willing to uh, to take some time and spend some time on you and some money on you for sure. So, uh, Paul, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Paul Darcy at Indeed.com speaking at The Gathering in Banff this week. I had a laugh at this one tweet that really kind of put it into perspective just how many people are coming to Calgary to work from just outside city limits. As an example, I'm one of them here in Airdrie or in Airdrie. 
13,830 people work in Calgary. It's a lot of people who are making that commute every day. Cochrane, 5,270 people work in Calgary. Banff and Lake Louise, 3.8 million annual visitors by car. And Okotoks and High River, 6,000 people work in Calgary. This is all a commute time. So it begs that question as to what's your time worth? Or would you, do you want to do that drive every day? Or if you could, and if it was a timely option, would you think about regional rail? And I know there are a lot of groups who are talking about it now, but it really puts it into perspective. Willem Klumpenhauer was the person who uh, tweeted out the, the stats and he asked the question, wondering what regional rail in Calgary might look like. Here's a start with some stats to back up the vision. Start small, then grow. Obviously, logistics aside and all that kind of thing, it does beg the question. We need to have this conversation at some point is how are we getting from point A to point B and providing options? And one of the groups who has been behind the notion of rail in our province is called Alberta Rail or railalberta.ca, I believe is uh, where you can find them online. Let me just double check on that before I go too much further. It is railalberta.com for more on that. Justin Similuk is behind that and he joins us now. Justin, thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. It's been, it's great. I had to laugh looking at some of these numbers that was thrown out on a tweet by uh, a Wilhelm Klumpenhauer, uh, I believe is how he pronounced his name. But he threw some numbers at us in terms of how many people are commuting from uh, the the bedroom communities of Calgary into Calgary and then back again. And it really kind of puts it into context, doesn't it, in terms of what kinds of uh, vehicles we could take off the roads or give at least some options to those who maybe want to do something a little different on their commute absolutely i think that tweet really kind of showcased how many people are really coming into calgary just for work alone like there's still there's still student populations there's still people doing appointments there's lots of people coming into the city and they're all being forced so mostly onto highway number two it's amazing to me is, and I know we have different groups getting together to talk about the other, the possibilities of rail and that kind of thing. But are you really getting the sense that there, there is any traction right now towards bringing rail as an option to uh, the, the traveling corridor in this part of the province? I think there's definitely growing support and interest in rail being feasible just not just in Calgary, but in the surrounding region. I know a lot of the municipalities um, are really looking forward to ways to improve how people in the region are moving. What do you think needs to happen to make this more of a serious conversation? I think, uh, I definitely think political support is a way for it to kind of come to fruition kind of thing. Like Twitter is a good platform to get people talking and to get ideas bouncing around but i think realistically you know we need to go to the people who are running our cities and towns and be like why aren't we looking at this as an option how much of it depends on buyer uh on the buy-in by uh residents in general to be able to say hey you know what this is going to be worth my weight uh when it comes to you know the i know time is is a valuable commodity now and if they've got the difference between 30 minutes on in their own vehicle and 45 on transit they may take that 30 minutes well and i think i think there's also you know you a better kind of 
quality of life you can get. You know, you can not have to worry about being stressed trying to get onto Yankee Valley when going home to Airdrie or something or the bumper-to-bumper traffic that hits up Banff on the weekend. So I definitely think it's a way to help people improve their lives. When it comes to what you guys are doing with this whole uh, idea of Alberta rail advocacy, what are you guys hoping to accomplish there? Well, we want to get a train built. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's our ultimate goal is we don't, we want to get people informed and engaged. And ultimately the, the goal is we want a rail system built for Alberta. Mm-hmm. And is that just between municipalities? Is that within municipalities? What's what would you see is that maybe? I mean, you could put on your put in your your crystal ball in front of you and take a look and say, you know, fifty or hundred years down the road, what's the best case scenario? A <laughs> hundred years down the road, I mean, <laughs> I, if if I could still be alive, I'd love to be able to go from Fort Mac all the way down to Lethbridge on a train. That'd be uh, that'd be a fantastic thought. Although I know a lot of pro vehicle people will be sitting there going, "Don't take me! You'll have to pry my steering wheel out of my cold dead hands." But as you mentioned, well, that's the thing too is we're we're not anti car. Is I really want to stress too. Like I don't think that you can totally replace everybody by trains in the province. There's obviously going to need for cars and personal transit. But if you can take away that is you know. If you can if you can provide a way that's just as good as driving and it's for your day to day things, then why not? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's it's all about options, is what I've said. Whether it's you know bike lanes, whether it's more pedestrian walks, whether it's more rail. I mean, there there needs to be some options out there because right now, as it stands, uh, the clear option seems to be uh, motor vehicles. So, uh, if you want to learn more about what's going on, uh, go over to Twitter and follow at Alberta Rail for more. Uh, thanks so much for tra- joining us on the show today. Thanks a lot. Wanted to put another spotlight because it got a lot of great reaction about uh, getting to talk a little bit about the Canada Games that are happening in Red Deer this week uh, over the last uh, number of days here. Alberta actually sitting second place right now in the medal count. 11 gold, 14 silver, and 10 bronze according to the latest report on uh, the Canada Games website. One of the gentlemen and one of the athletes who's really been highlighted here is a kid by the name of Caleb Mueller from Cranford, which is just outside Lethbridge. Check out this resume for the game so far. Gold in the team pursuit. Gold in the 5,000 meter long track event. Silver in the 1,500. Silver in the 1,000 meter. Fifth place in long track, 500 meter. Uh, Yeah, he did pretty good for himself. And Caleb joins us now on the program. Hey, thanks so much for the time today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this last week that you've had. I mean, this is, you look at a couple of golds, you look at a couple of silvers. Is your neck getting sore first off from carrying all the hardware around? Um, I mean, it's a little heavy, but it's nice to have them around my neck. <laughs> What's been the key to that success for you? I mean, this has been a pretty spectacular uh, Canada Games for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. I, I couldn't do it without my coaches, uh, without my parents. And, um, yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this uh, Canada Games for a while now, and I've been putting in a little bit extra this year to make sure I'm ready and that I could perform at, perform at my best for this whole week. We were talking yeah. with uh, Brooklyn McDougal yesterday about her success, and yours is very much the same in terms of the amount of medals. But she was talking about you know some of the 
the issues, whether it be uh, skating outdoors or doing the doing doing the skating, I guess, at this level, and talk a little bit about the week that's been and some of the trials and tribulations that you've gone through. Um, yeah, like uh, towards the outdoors, um, I skate indoors in Calgary, and I mean it's a little different, but uh, it's the same for everyone. You can't really let that affect you, and uh, yeah. Did that train up any differently, given that you were you were heading outdoors for a little bit on in for the last week? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did come out to Red Deer to uh, test out the ice and that, but uh, no, it's more or less the same. How has the experience been for you? I've had a blast here. The atmosphere at the games is amazing. Everyone's supportive, and it's just a blast being here. What's it like being on home home ice, I guess, and having that, you know, Alberta crowd behind you and, and you know, I assume having some family or some friends around to, uh, to give you that extra boost? It's been great. Um, a lot of my family came out, and that, that was fun to compete in front of them. It's a, and it's, it's always a blast to, uh, to represent my province, especially in Red Deer here. And, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Talk a little bit about what your expectations were going into these, because I know with some Canada Games uh, athletes, they go in thinking, okay, I just want to set some personal bests, or I want to do, you know, I want to get into onto the podium once, or whatever the case may be. So I'm wondering what your expectations were heading in, and did your performance exceed those expectations? Yeah, I came in, I I was expecting a few medals especially in the 5k and I ended up winning that one. So that was my main goal to win that. But actually I've been to, uh, two other Canada games also. And I was on the side of the spectrum where I just wanted to, uh, participate to the best of my abilities. So I've been on both sides and it's nice to come to this one, you know, being a favorite and to win a few medals. It's, it's, it's very nice. Being that favorite, did you put yourself under any given pressure? Because I know some people will say that they're their own worst critics. So did you kind of put your own performance under the microscope a bit? Um, I, I definitely was more nervous than I usually am. But uh, it's important just to stay calm and focus on your game plan. You can't let anything uh, really affect you. Mm-hmm. When you did win those medals, was there anybody in particular that you looked out into the crowd to try to find first, or was it pretty much look straight ahead and, and celebrate a little bit on your own? Um, yeah, I always looked at my family. I mean, they're always uh, been a big supporter of mine, and I wouldn't be where I am without them. So really like to share that moment with them. That is fantastic. One final question for you. I know a lot of people have uh, hopes and dreams down the line, especially after Canada Games. They start dreaming a little bigger. What are your immediate goals? What would you like to see over the next four, five, or ten years down the road for yourself? Um, I mean, the next Winter Olympics are in three years, and I believe that's a realistic goal. So I'm going to put in three hard years and hopefully make that next Olympics. Well, you're on the right path if you're getting all the medals you are. So, Caleb, I do appreciate it. Congratulations on on all your success at the Canada Games and looking forward to seeing what you've got up your sleeve over the next couple of years for sure. Thank you very much. Cranford, Alberta's Caleb Mueller taking home four medals thus far at the Canada Games in Red Deer. A big congratulations to all the athletes who are taking part and a big congratulations as well to Red Deer in our province for doing what it sounds like a fantastic job of hosting the 2019 Canada Games. 
just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon. 